When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to First Act, a podcast from Koshi's Business Builders. I'm Seth Busby. I'm Adam Bubb. And between us, the two of us have interviewed hundreds of the world's most inspiring and influential people, from pop stars to politicians, celebrities to CEOs, and everyday legends doing fantastic things. Oh, yes, we do. Uh, So we love lifting the lid on those backstories you don't always get to hear behind the veil of success. Uh, So each week on First Act, we talk to fascinating business founders and other movers and shakers about their origin stories, how they found their purpose, and what they've learned from their breakthroughs and the curveballs along the way. We hope you take away something inspiring, useful, or just enjoy the chat. Now today we're joined by Amanda Rose, the founder of Six Businesses. She is Australia's foremost strategic connector, workplace trainer, business consultant, and a passionate keynote speaker across areas like leadership and relationship building. She's the queen of networking. Her business ventures include Small Business Women Australia, Business Women Media, Western Sydney Women, and Western Sydney Executive Women. Now, on a local level, she's also a managing partner of the Western Sydney Advisory. And on the global front, she is a member of DWEN, the Dell Women's Entrepreneur Network. You may have also read her weekly daily telegraph careers column, Boss Lady. Now, Amanda, you're one busy lady, so thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, Amanda, we're so happy to have you on First Act. We we always start with what we call the First Act icebreaker. So your icebreaker for today is... What book are you? There was my that was my sad attempt at a drum roll. I mean, I've, I've done it a couple of times on this podcast, but that was maybe I need some more energy for that. I'm going to bring in some sticks for next week. <laughs> I would like to see that. We will. What book are you currently reading or have recently read, and is it any good? Well, this this is going to probably uh, disappoint you, but it's contract law. <laughs> so. Oh. Um, <laughs> Currently reading contract law because I'm doing a, a graduate diploma. Wake up, law. <laughs> Wake up Seth. Come on. <laughs> but it is useful. So you know, I, I'm. I this is my fourth degree, and um, I wanted to understand law and the legal side in the business arena, and there was no better way of doing that than study. So that's why I'm doing it. So do you keep that on your nightstand? Does it help you? Does it help you sleep? <laughs> Law definitely helps you sleep, let me tell you, and I do keep it on my nightstand. Uh, it's what I read at night uh, and on weekends, but it is very interesting but can be tiring, yes. Yes. Well, consider the ice broken. That is a great way to start this chat. And let, let's get started, Seth, shall we? Now, you write a column for the telly, Boss Lady. Were you always a boss? Were you the kid that was always organising everyone and had big grand schemes? 
Well, that's actually a good question. So I wouldn't say that I was a boss from a young age, but I was a leader. So I was always taking the lead just naturally. So I wanted to organize people. I wanted the best out of whatever team activity we were doing. And often I was just put in those positions because I suppose I was comfortable doing it and it came naturally. And so I've been like that since I was a child from sport to school at uni. Uh, And then what that evolved into is I always wanted my own business. So I started my own business and that just turned, you know, leadership into also being a boss. So speaking of, you know, school and, you know, it's early years, what was your first job and and what did you learn from it? Oh, so my first job was actually working uh, in the kitchen of a function centre. So I had to, you know, collect the plates and clean them and so forth. And because it was high turnover functions and, you know, a lot of work, what it taught me is you have no time to spare. (laughs) You have to keep moving and keep getting things done. And I liked the fact that I was constantly active. So I was always looking for work that kept me busy. So there was that as a first job. Were there any other jobs that you did in your kind of teenage years? Well, I'll tell you a funny story. Story. So I actually uh, didn't start drinking coffee until my 30s, but I was a barista without any training. They put me on the barista for a cafe because I was so good with dealing with people. So I was chatting and, I, you know, people would come to see me and I would, you know, have a good conversation with them about the day. In fact, there was one gentleman who was uh, deaf so and I was at uni at the time, so I studied Auslan at uni so I could communicate with him. Uh, when he was getting coffee from me because I didn't like the fact that I couldn't um, communicate with him. Uh, But I was like the coffee queen. I was making all these amazing coffees and I I realised then how much I enjoyed listening to other people's stories uh, and their lives and that kind of just never stopped. Well, that sort of translates into into what you do now, especially, you know, in your column but also in a lot of the mentorship and uh, a lot of the kinds of things that you do within your various businesses. People come to you now for careers advice. Uh, What nuggets of career advice were you given early on in your career that have kind of stuck with you? Well, uh, not to take on too much too soon. That was a really good, because I'm so ambitious, right? And there are a lot of ambitious people out there. And when you're young, you sometimes can take on so much, you may lose sight of what it is you're trying to achieve. So I had a really, really amazing um, boss called John South uh, when I was working at Mission Australia and he was like you need to learn to say no at the right things and say yes to the right things Uh, and that was very powerful because a lot of people do try and take on too much and then you end up you know doing five percent at everything instead of a hundred percent at one thing. Now on the flip side of that have you ever been given any terrible career advice and you, and then afterwards you've smacked yourself because you're like why did I take yes. that <laughs> Absolutely so it's m- not so much career advice but it was more the fact that people above me in the hierarchy trying to tell me who I was so you know trying to derail you in a way um, I was once told that I was a very detailed person, that I, I was not strategic, and this was a justification for why I shouldn't be in the executive meetings and the executive team, even though I was an executive at the time. And I questioned that because I know I'm crap at detail, uh, and I knew I was quite strategic, but she kept saying it time and time again, and I realized, hang on a minute, why am I listening to this? This is not who I am. So I actually went and asked other leaders in the organization what they thought I was like and what my skills were. And they said, oh, no, said, you, you know, you're definitely uh, a leader and you're very strategic and I'm surprised you've lasted as long as you have in the organisation. 
<laughs> really? So this person who gave you the advice had a bit of a reputation for being a dream crusher? <laughs> um, yes. And you know what? In, on the plus side, it was brilliant training because I learned to deal with very difficult people and still thrive and succeed under that. It was just a, uh, I realized, hang on a minute, this is actually limiting uh, my belief in myself if I'm continuing to listen to this person. So I stopped. Hmm. So you wear a lot of hats. You're Small Business Women Australia, Business Women Media, Western Sydney Women, Western Sydney Executive Team. But there's a pretty common theme here. It's a yes. passion for supporting and empowering women. Now, when did you realise that was your purpose? I think it's I work in, in a lot of my consulting work and what I do, I work with a lot of men right? It's just the business world, whether it's government, whether it's, you know, community, whatever it is, I work with men. But then I realized women have so much to offer, but they didn't have the pathways or they were limited by their own confidence or past experiences that were negative. And I thought we need to change that. So essentially women are this untapped resource for, you know, community, business and government, but we need to equip the women with the confidence, the toolkit and, and the experience, you know, from mentoring to help them be able to move forward and then also make the connections for them. And I thought, you know what, if I can break through uh, the barriers and I can get myself into these rooms, then half the battle's done. All I need to now is build the confidence of women around me and then bring them along for the ride. So what was that light bulb moment like for you or or even like a breakthrough moment early on, um, you know, with your, with your businesses, like Western Sydney Women and, and then later Small Business Women Australia, what were those particular moments where you really thought you're like, okay, this is... This is what I'm, I'm born to do. Okay, so look, I'll tell you a secret that every single business I started is because someone annoyed me, right? Or, <laughs> someone, or, or, or someone was trying to block me. So businesswoman media I started because no one would publish what I wanted to say, so I created my own media outlet and I've since sold that. Uh, Western Sydney women, I started that because women in the West were treated as second-class citizens and often still are. And I thought, well, this is rubbish. I need to change this. Uh, and so I just literally built that brick by brick and, you know, brought people along and it's growing. because so I thought, no, we deserve the exact same opportunities, not only as the men, but also as everyone else, uh, you know, across Sydney and Australia. And then Small Business Women Australia when the first lockdown happened, I realized, hang on a minute, no one is advocating for the the woman, you know, the female small business owner who doesn't necessarily bring in the multi-million dollar small business income. You know, a majority of them, 80% of uh, small business women actually have a turnover of 250000 and under. And there are a lot that were being missed, you know, missed out with that whole $75,000 mark and all these little complications that happened. I thought they need a voice. So again, I got annoyed. So I started that to give them a voice and, and they realized she advocates for us. And now we have a really strong community. You kind of touched on it a little bit uh, just then about how people in Western Sydney, they face these kind of negative connotations. There's a lot of kind of assumptions and stereotypes. Did you feel stigmatised when you first entered of the world of business oh, and entrepreneurship? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I, I mean, I experienced it even at school, uh, but definitely in the workforce. I come from a working class family and, you know, once you're working class, it doesn't leave you. You don't try to escape it. You just want more opportunities or the same opportunities as everyone else. So the stigma is real. 
And we have a Western Sydney is very mixed, right? And and there's all different levels. But the stigma is really like classism or elitism of just because you're from that area, even if you had money, even if you didn't have money, whatever it is, I'm still better than you. Uh, they assume that people in Western Sydney aren't smart enough to make their own choices. Uh, they're not ambitious enough or don't have the ambition to want more in life. And it's ridiculous. I mean, we shouldn't be putting pressure on people to be anything more than they want to be, but we should be giving them the exact same opportunities, resources and assistance as everyone else. It is a conundrum, isn't it? Um, You've got all this passion and you're wanting to help push all these women forward and there's all these barriers and biases that you've been facing (laughs) as a woman. But then there's got to be positives as well. I mean, how do you feel being someone from Western Sydney has shaped you and your career? Oh, I love it. So I'm so proud to be from Western Sydney. And what I really like is that it I'm grounded, I think, you know, not only because of my family, but for being from Western Sydney, but I'm an example to other girls and women from the area. And they can just look at me and think, well, hang on a minute. If she can create a business from scratch on her own without any funding or any support and have this impact, then, hey, I can do it too. I want to learn from her. And I think, you know, when you're helping someone, I was always raised that if you help one woman or one girl, she will help someone else. And that has a ripple effect. So it's just that community of knowing that if you help one woman or one you know group of women, they're going to carry on that legacy and help others. And that takes time. So I'm in it for the long game as well. So I think a lot of people don't realize that the Western Sydney blood is that we're hardworking and persistent. So um, everything we do, you know, like dog with a bone, we're not giving up. And I really want to do what I can do uh, to help those who don't have the same access as me or don't have the same um, opportunities as me. It can be that real thing of how, and you see it oh, you see it all across Sydney, but I think in, in a lot of major cities, like there are certain areas where a lot of people who are in the most powerful boardrooms are from. And to be able to try and, and break those stereotypes and go, you know what, if I'm not liking what I'm seeing, I'm going to create my own what you do has a ripple effect because you're creating a movement you're changing what the you know boardrooms look like and what companies look like and what entrepreneurs look like that's right and also the advantage that um in both western sydney and also with the small business women uh, world is that that's where a lot of focus is on right now, especially like with Western Sydney, with the infrastructure and all the funding that's happening with the airport. A lot of people are trying to get involved in the West and, you know, it creates opportunities for our small business and the people. However, we need to be very careful that we're not being used, right? So we're not just being flattered or invited along for the ride. So I like to work with people who are genuine. So I have a very strong filter and I make sure that if anyone wants to reach out to help, that they genuinely want to make a difference, whether it's for Western Sydney or whether it's for the small business woman. And when that happens, a lot of doors open for a lot of women. So, you know, other people will come to the party because it's the right thing to do and some get forced to the party uh, because everyone else is doing it. But we just still have to be very cautious that no matter what we try to achieve and you know, the doors we want open, that they're actually going to provide the opportunity and not just be uh, tokenistic. For anyone who's listening, how can they show genuine commitment 
to walk the talk on on helping you know women in Western Sydney, but also Western Sydney um, you know, on a broader level. Well, I'd say be honest. So you know, if you're not from the area and you have no idea about the area, say that. Say, look, I'm not from the area. Um, I'm looking to get to know the people. I'm looking to invest. Uh, you know, and and chat with people and say, look, this is what I'm looking to do. What is needed? How can I add my social component to what I'm doing? Uh, genuinely have those conversations. Don't you know? Don't do one program or or assist one person and then use that exact case study on every single keynote and board meeting that you have. Have a long term impact. It could be partnering with a school or with a community group for five years and show that traction. But be upfront about it. I think people that try to pretend they know the area, people just don't like it. They would rather teach you. Uh, what they're going through and show you and and then you help them with what they need help with, uh, that will get you a lot further. Because mm. yeah, there's nothing worse than a blow-in, someone just coming in and going, nope. oh, I know exactly <laughs> what will be right for you. I know what's right for your area. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So that whole I've come in to tell you what you need to do, I'm like, wow, thank you so much. Uh, what will we do without you, strange person? well what we love about you is that you have that passion for the local but you're also connected you know you are part of the global networks for women entrepreneurs as well um how valuable has it been for you to connect with other women in business whether it's you know on a local area or whether it's for women outside of your circles as well it's actually really important and i i encourage women to do more of it and just even just outside their micro level but like you said national and global because I recently have, and oh, look, I've been saying it for a while, that small business women are the untapped resource of this country. And I believe that we need to be sharing ideas together. We need to be sharing contacts, for example, with funding. Um, we need to be networking and, you know, um, iron sharpens iron. So working together on opportunities and improving businesses because, a lot of times women are in their silos, you know, they're just working very hard, juggling life, and they don't ask for help. They're not reaching out as much. So I think we need to take away the stigma that asking for help is a bad thing or that means you're failing and actually encourage asking questions, attending events, networking, letting people know what you're trying to achieve and see how people can help you because they will, you know, a lot of people will reach out and help. Getting rid of that fear of failure is a big thing, I think. Absolutely. And failing is not that bad. Oh my goodness, have I failed. Um, but I have a rule that I don't dwell on something for you know longer than about, I don't know, 30 seconds. Uh, because the thing is, you've got to get back up and keep going. So what have I learned from this? Uh, and, and there's always another angle or another door to walk in. A lot of people fear that there's a lack of opportunity. We are surrounded by opportunity. You've just got to open your eyes and, and have a look at what's out there. We are back with Amanda Rose. So Amanda, we were talking a bit about networking before. Not everyone is an expert at networking and not as confident and some people find it quite daunting actually. So what is one practical tip you have for anyone who walks into these environments, you know, walks into a room and kind of shrinks into a tiny ball and rolls into a corner? Well, they're all there for the same reason as you. So go out and have a conversation. Don't assume that the person you've turned up to a room of extroverts that are confident, they're all sitting there or standing there thinking, oh, I'm nervous and I don't know who to talk to. So they're feeling the same as you, right? And they're all just humans. 
just have a conversation, just say, hello, you know, how are you? What is your business? And, you know, what do you do? What are you trying to achieve this year? And just have a conversation. I think we put way too much pressure on ourselves to achieve so much in such a short period of time, or the world said you have to be this extrovert. And the thing is, I'm not even an extrovert, surprise, surprise. Um, I'm an ambivert. So I can be great with people, but I also like my alone time. And I think people need to kind of just switch it on and say, I'm here for business. I'm here to get to know as many people as I can, have good quality conversations. And look, after that first conversation and maybe a glass of wine, you'll be right. I think it's probably one of the only situations that I would find it acceptable for someone to ask, what do you do? (laughs) It's funny because I, every time I chat with someone, I always ask people, how's business? Right. And I remember learning that early on, a a gentleman I knew quite high up in business would always ask that of people. And it's something I do because I'm genuinely interested. How's business? You know, because I try and find in that conversation, is there anything I can share? Is there any tip that I can give or is any connection that I can make? And that instantly bonds you to that person. That is such a great piece of advice, Amanda. I think we need to find these sort of entries into conversation that don't feel like you're kind of like a platitude or like a like you're performing or that you're putting on a face, you know, like to actually cut to the chase a bit. That's right. And, you know, I'm not a, a, a hyped person. I don't flatter. I'm very matter of fact, um, but I'm interested. So I won't go on about, you know, silly talk or things like that in an event. I'll just genuinely want to know about what the person's doing in business or what they're planning on doing and, and uh, hopefully give them some piece of advice or connect them to someone I think they should speak to because that's what I'm good at, right? And if you're good at a particular thing, then the more you get to know someone, the more you can find an opening to be able to provide a little bit of advice and then they'll say to themselves, wow, you know what you're doing, maybe we should connect again. And that skill also to know that if you're not the right person for them to, I mean, not even saying the right person, but like that skill to identify, oh, I know this person who would be, it'd be great for you to meet that person. Like they've yeah. got a particular skill. They're in a similar industry to you, or maybe they're at a similar stage of their career as you or whatever that's it right. might be. And that's right. And the thing is, I work with a lot of men and this happens naturally. I'm in a meeting. I'm the only woman in the meeting. And by the end of it, it's, hey, you should call this person. Hey, I sent you this contact. Um, You should speak to that person about this. Boom, boom. And that's it. It's done. So it's like 15 connections are made in an hour's meeting that would take a woman a, a year to do because she's worried about asking for help. Now, you just said um, sometimes you're the only woman in the meeting. What do you think are the biggest issues that are impacting women as they try to climb big business or the corporate ladder? I think women expect to be appreciated and rewarded for their abilities and their skill because of their abilities and their skill, and that just doesn't naturally happen. Some people spot that in them and go, wow, you're fantastic, but you've really got to push it and sell yourself and build those private relationships. You've got to one-on-one connect with people that make decisions. Make sure they know what you're achieving. Let them know that you can help. Put your hand up and say, I heard that you're doing this project. I'd like to be involved. If they're, you know, you're negotiating for something, say, this is what I'd like to get paid, you know, stand your ground and it sets a standard of how they'll treat you. So it's being more proactive instead of waiting for the opportunity. Why do you think this is a big generalisation, but why do you think women are so uh, fearful of blowing their own trumpet? 
because they get told if they do, oh, look at her or, you know, she thinks she's so good or, um, you know, she's so arrogant. And they, they're worried about that. They're worried about the opinions of people that are totally irrelevant to the scheme of things, which is fascinating. And the reality is people that make those comments, they're not paying you. They're not hiring you. They're not, they're not promoting you. So, you know, I believe in blocking people the second they give you that attitude and get on with it because those who genuinely like what you do and know what you're achieving, they want to work with you. They want to hire you. They want to promote you. Um, so you've got to really get that fear out of it. Even if a man says it, a man or woman says it to you, that, oh, look at you blowing your own trumpet. I mean, I get that sometimes and I'm like, well, whose trumpet would you like me to blow? <laughs> well, let's not go there. <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, what, what exactly do you want me to do? Would you like me to hide in the corner so you have more sunshine or should I just take my own spot, my own stage, and you create your own? Yeah. Mm. You're, you're a great representative for women. You're such a role model, I think, for a lot of women. And I think that's great because you can't be what you can't see. So how do you reckon we can get better at representing women at all levels of business? Like how can we see more women in executive teams and on boards? And for you personally, what has been your experience of the glass ceiling? Well, I think as if you're given an opportunity as a woman, bring a woman with you. For example, if I have an opportunity, I'll hire a woman to work with me on that or suggest a woman for a board position if I can't do it. And if I can, I'll say, I think there's someone else you should consider. So put in the effort to bring a woman along with whatever success that you have, uh, and then she'll be able to do the same because if you're helping her in her career and her small business, she'll be able to pass that on. Um, with me, with the glass ceiling, I face, oh, look, I face these issues all the time, but I don't let it phase me. I like a good challenge. My rule is that if there's a particular organization or a group that block me, uh, and usually it's because I'm a quite a confident woman, but if they block me, I just go to their competitor. Uh, and it works like a charm. So you just got to keep knocking on doors until someone says, I like what you've got to offer. But the trick is you've got to let them know what you have to offer. You've got to promote. And that even if it's simply posting on LinkedIn your achievements of you and your team or your small business, you've got to let people know what you're doing and how you've achieved and what you've done. And they're like, oh, that's great. If you sit there in silence, no one will know. Mm. Wow. I'm, <laughs> you're saying so many things that are just so, so important. And I think that whole thing of like being able to blow your own trumpet on LinkedIn and on in professional networks is is a really important point and knowing how what what you want to say and what you want to get there and being really really clear about okay like I actually need to tell I've been doing all this stuff behind the scenes but to actually get that confidence and I think as you've said that a lot of women feel there's that less confidence to be able to kind of do that and it is it, it is a barrier you know being able to kind of overcome that and go I'm going to listen to Amanda Rose and I'm going to be, I'm going to do what she's doing, you know. Whatever, it's whatever it takes. And look, I have a lot of my uh, mentees and clients and just network that would say, look, I was in this situation and I just thought, what would Amanda do? And if that's what it takes for you to take that opportunity for the first time, because then it becomes behavioral and you, you just, you know, you do it naturally, then so be it. Whatever it takes, don't back down from a challenge or from an opportunity because of fear or because your confidence has been chipped away at because of some comment someone made in your life or a bad 
relationship or a really crappy boss in the past or whatever it is. Not all people are like that and you will face more people like it, right? It's it's never ending. Just keep moving forward. But the confidence piece, you know, you're, you have to be totally responsible for that. You cannot expect other people to make you feel confident. You just need toolkit strategies and a little bit of bluff, walk into a room and go for it. That's that, such a good point also with when it's with the, with big businesses because you will find the people who are on your side. You know, you don't have to be listening to all the, the people on the sidelines and, you know, the, the peanut yes. gallery. When you look at big businesses, and obviously you, you do a lot of consulting work with big businesses, what do you think is the main challenge in delivering on, you know, these big promises they make about diversity and inclusion, um, you know, whether it's in you know, for women or whether it's for other, you know, other groups? It's interesting because I was thinking the other day, you know, if you have an inclusive nature, then diversity isn't an issue, right? Because by default, if you're inclusive with everything you do, you will have a diverse work, a diverse workforce. Um, so I think it's, look, a fish rots from the head down. So we really need to make sure that the board of any organisation genuinely wants to have more representation and it does take time. But again, you place a few people on the board, male or female, doesn't matter what the mix is that's right for the business, but their attitude and their passion needs to be to have an inclusive workforce, to have voices from different regions, to be able to genuinely realise we don't know much about this particular area. We need to make sure we hire someone from that area. And this needs to be part of their culture. It's a real cultural thing. If there's an organisation that doesn't do it, then don't fight them head on, move on, right? There are other places that will accept you and give you the experience and connections you need and you and they will succeed as a result. So you'll be beneficial to them. Yeah. How do you know when it's time to cut your losses? When well, a couple of reasons, oh, a couple of signs. One would be if you can't move forward or up in the in the organisation. So there's no further growth or education. You're not being supported. Um, you should definitely look elsewhere. Or if if you're a small business and you're trying to get a contract, for example, in a large firm, often they try and string you along, especially if you're a businesswoman. They really do try and milk you for as much as they can get out of you. And it could go for months. And then all of a sudden it's, look, you know, we've decided to go elsewhere, but they've taken all your tips and your ideas. So you really need to have boundaries of what you're willing to offer. Don't go in begging or don't go in, you know, uh, needy. Go in confident of what you can deliver in any meeting, in any opportunity and be willing to walk away. Always be willing to walk away and say, no, this is where I draw the line and that's it. Is that advice that you give your mentees? Absolutely. And I think it's like negotiation, right? You ask for the baker shop, you get a loaf of bread. You ask for a loaf of bread, you're going to get crumbs. So always go in big and bold and have your data, have your stats, know what you've achieved and have the discussion. It's business. And I think sometimes we take things too personally. We need to go in there and realize this is a transaction. I like the credibility or the character of the organization here, whether it's a job or a, a contract. I'm willing to work with you. You align to my values, but also just because you align to my values doesn't mean I'm going to dilute my value or my price. You deal with a lot of women providing mentorship as part of all of your groups, but have you had a lot of mentoring in your own journey? And and how important is it to have someone that you can bounce your ideas off, who can give you a bit of guidance to go, uh, enough's enough, or no, keep going? 
You know, that's really good. So I didn't have really any mentors, which is why I'm such an advocate for them. So I had my mum. So my mum was my advisor, my mentor, my encourager, uh, and she was, yep, that's enough, or you need to do this, or keep going. And every now and then I would have people reach out to me, maybe just say a comment. So maybe just, yeah, I remember through my career, key people saying key things to me that made a really big difference, uh, but not an ongoing someone I could go to to ask for advice, which was disappointing. And even, you know, I, I found I was quite alone in my journey in building my businesses. And that's why I wanted to create what I have and really encourage women to take advantage of it because it is lonely. And I could have avoided probably a lot of mistakes uh, in my business if I had more mentors and and regular ones um, through my journey. You obviously bring a lot of passion and purpose to your mentorships, but what else do you think you contribute? Uh, Structure. So, you know, structure, vision uh, and confidence because thing is mentoring sounds great. <laughs> Everyone's like, you know, let's catch up for a coffee, but for what, right? It's kind of like that person that says, hey, let's grab coffee. And you're like, well, hang on a minute. That's an hour of my time. It's still a transaction. How can we make the most of it? And any program that we run for mentoring, we make sure it doesn't just deal with the topic. For example, if it's career mentoring, we cover off confidence, stress management, budgeting, financial literacy. So we make sure that the woman herself is holistic in her growth and that there is no gaps because you're only strong as your weakest link. So we need to make sure that she's covered every key area to be able to make the most of the opportunities coming her way. You mentioned you have a lot of passion projects and obviously women in aviation that's a, that's a program that you that's a more that's a newer one of yours. What was the idea behind that particular program? Well, that was because in Western Sydney in particular, there weren't there wasn't any opportunities for women to advance. There weren't structured programs and connections and all these things. Uh, I pretty much designed my dream program for a high school girl or a woman, and said, right, the airport's coming. We need to make sure that we're preparing everyone for the opportunities that are coming up with that airport and to upskill them, connect them, mentor them, to be prepared and to have the confidence to go for it because it just didn't exist. Nothing exists like this. So we created that and it was hugely successful. And we now have uh, girls that are co-pilots. One girl's now half owner of a business. Uh, Another one is one of the first only um, female stunt um, aircraft um, um, pilots and then we had another girl that's literally now an aerospace engineer <laughs> so it really did give them the connections and the confidence so that was deliberate to actually provide value in a mentorship program that was m- beyond just having a chat with someone really the mentoring is just one component um, and we'll be running more so now we'll be running them for high school Uh, again for women and we'll also be introducing one for the executive level as well. That really brings it back to what you were mentioning, what you were talking about before with it being very much focusing on mentoring within the context of where you are and what is going on in that particular area. Like you said, there's an airport coming in Western Sydney. You want to create as many opportunities for women as possible. So that is one area you can target, you know, that one area that you can, you can, you see an opportunity are there, what other kinds of gaps are you seeing in the market? Look, everything I've created is the first of its kind. 
So I really have developed even programs I've designed and now they're being replicated elsewhere and that's fantastic because I know I'm a bit of a pioneer and I take that um, uh, seriously and I love it. So we also found a gap um, with STEM opportunities in Western Sydney for girls and women. So we have um, STEM programs, mentoring programs, trades, but also, you know, we'll be creating programs around um, politics, for example, helping high school girls understand politics in Western Sydney, because we all know when it comes to election time, we're the flavour of the month or the few months around election time. And we need to make sure that there could be someone at school right now that says, mm, I want to change, I want to do something different. So we need to give them the opportunities and the connections for that. So we're always looking for what hasn't been developed? We de we designed a program called Future Not Followers uh, with uh, Women New South Wales because I'm on the Council for Women's Economic Opportunity, and I designed this program to help with financial literacy in high school girls. But it is around goal setting and ambition. So it's how to set goals, how does money relate to that, and how can we take things like negotiation skills, understanding contracts, super things like that that the girls don't know, and then prepare them for the outside world. You've, you've raised a lot of really interesting points from a, a work perspective. There's also the life perspective, and I guess another one of those terms that always comes up is work-life balance. <laughs> so <laughs> obviously work is a huge part of your life, a huge part of your purpose, and the way that that impacts, you know, the various women that you, you know, you've helped, it impacts their lives. You know, it isn't just work. It is their lives that you're changing. Um, what does work-life balance mean in, in your reality? So for me, I don't like to do anything unless I see a return on that. So I don't like to waste my time sitting down for three hours um, watching, uh, you know, reality TV. It's not my style because I don't see a return on that. I would rather go to the gym. I would rather, you know, uh, have a facial or catch up with someone or a friend in need, hang out with family because that's always valuable and family comes first. So I'd rather do that. So my work-life balance is as long as the people closest to me are getting the right attention from me uh, and it's quality attention and I'm, I'm happy. That's exactly what I think a work-life balance is. But I deal with a lot of uh, women who do struggle with that concept and the biggest issue is actually the expectations of others. So it's others expecting a lot from you that they don't necessarily expect of themselves. So we really need to be very careful of setting our own boundaries and being honest about what it is that we want to achieve for that work-life balance and stick to it. How do you do that? How do you set adequate boundaries so that you do get your balance? Um, well, you say no a lot. <laughs> um, and so many people have difficulty saying no. But it's how they don't it's, want to disappoint people. Well, let's face it, you're not disappointing people because you're looking after your mental health, your family health, your business health, right? Because that's what comes first. And it's not necessarily saying the word no. It could be, look, I'm at capacity for the next six months. Would you mind checking in then? Or let's book in to catch up in three months, right? And let's do a lunch and it's booked in. You've got something to look forward to without the pressure of being asked every week. Uh, and you also need to be uh, mindful of just because you're asked to do something, it doesn't mean you have to do it. You might be asked to volunteer for something. If you do not have time to do it and you're pushing yourself to the absolute limit, the only thing that's going to suffer is you. 
And you means your family, your health, your business. So you've just got to map it out and say, right, I'm going to do five free things only this year. And it once it's booked in, it's booked in. And you say, look, check in with me next year. I'm actually at capacity this year. Write down who is most important in your life and the key things that are most important in your life. Because let me tell you, when you're 80 years old, you're not going to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't catch up for coffee with Susan. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I, can't believe I didn't go to my child's um, school performance instead of catching up with coffee with Susan. Susan, if you're listening. Um... <laughs> nothing personal. Nothing personal. <laughs> been blocked. <laughs> you've been blocked. <laughs> All right, Amanda, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. And to anyone listening at home or on a train or wherever you are, thanks for joining us as always. Come back next week when we unpack another world-class Aussie innovator's first act. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you.